I was spending all my time on my to-do list, on my emails, on learning programming, on getting this degree and that degree and this GPA. And what I realized is the reason I was so deeply unhappy and so lonely was because I was under-focusing on the people connection. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Hey everyone, if you've been following us on social media, you would have heard the announcements that Vision's book, Buddha and the Badass, is coming up soon. Now, if you haven't picked up an advanced copy yet, I highly suggest you go and do that since it includes amazing bonuses and the exclusive preview of one of the initial chapters that you can get started right away. When you purchase a book in advance, we get to make this available to so many more people. And so if you're looking forward to being a superhuman and you love learning from Vishen Lakhiani, his new book, Buddha and the Badass, is going to be the best thing you can read in the coming months. So look at the links that we're going to put in the show notes so you can go and grab an advanced copy right now. Now, let's get started with our episode. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Campbell, and welcome back to Superhumans at Work. The guest that I have today, oh my God, this is going to be a mind-blowing episode because we are in a space where we're trying to become highly effective in the workplace. And a lot of this content that we've covered so far has been around productivity, but the key things that keep coming back is how to become a more effective leader. How do I communicate with other people? And there's an entire dimension in science behind how you can do that, which we're going to break down today. Vanessa Van Edwards is the author of the book, Captivate, Use Science to Succeed with People. Now, the things that she has produced, I mean, you have her talks on YouTube that have been seen by over 20 million people. She has done presentations in some of the biggest companies in the world, such as Google, Facebook, Comcast, to just name a few. She does workshops at the Consumer Electronics Show at South by Southwest, and her TED Talk in London has been raved about as well. I remember first discovering Vanessa by watching Impact Theory with Tom Billier and just being blown away by what are the things you can find just by changing your physical behavior to change how you behave with other people. But get this, through the research that she has put together, she has noticed that people with strong people skill average 29,000 more per year. Why is that? And can you command some of that additional income for yourself? We'll find out right now with Vanessa Van Edwards. Vanessa, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Thanks for having me. Now, Vanessa, tell us a bit about this journey. Like, how did you get into the science of people? Is this a regular discipline? What exactly do we mean about having science around people here? Gosh, I wish it was a regular discipline. So I like to joke that I'm a recovering awkward person. So I'm not a natural people person. And that's because I get social anxiety. I get nerves just like now. I get stage fright. And so I always growing up hoped that I would just catch up to everyone. And it felt like I would walk into rooms and everyone else knew something I didn't. Somehow they were magically able to talk to people. They were able to uh, be cool. They were able to have casual conversation. And I wondered, was everyone getting a book that I just didn't have? And that's when I 
realized that I was spending so much energy on my technical skills, on my job skills, on my creative skills, and very little on my people skills, ability to have conversation, my body language, my presence. And I discovered a profound truth that changed my life, which is that we are wired to connect. This is really important because back in our caveman days, we did not survive without our relationships. To be able to hunt and gather and stay safe and raise our offspring, we had to have community. And so instead of actually running fast is a secondary need to being able to have trustworthy relationships. That completely changed my perspective. And I started reading the science and the science is very clear. We prioritize neural mechanisms for bonding. In other words, we have specific brain areas that are just there to bond. We have oscillators that look at our body in space. We have oxytocin production, which is how we connect and belong to people. We have mirror neurons, which is how we relate to empathy and connect with people. Our body actually prioritizes energy for these over running fast, seeing clearly, thinking strategically, And that blew my mind because I was spending all my time on my to-do list, on my emails, on learning programming, on getting this degree and that degree and this GPA. And what I realized is the reason I was so deeply unhappy and so lonely was because I was under-focusing on the people connection. And so I'm so honored to be here today and talk a little bit about that side of things because I think that we all need a little help with that. It seems to be the case. I mean, I hear that I think the number one fear in the world is things like public speaking, feared even more than death. And so having an understanding that we're designed for community, designed for bonding, why is it that we have these uh, things like anxiety in social settings and fear of public speaking? You would think that if we're built for it, we'd be naturally good at it. What's going on? Okay, so that's such a good question. So I want to flip that on its head. And you're so right. You're like, wait, if we're wired to connect, why aren't we confident all the time? Like, why don't we just want to walk up to strangers and be like, hey, I'm Vanessa. Will you be my friend if friendships help? So here's kind of what the psychologists say about this. It's weird if you don't have social anxiety. And the reason for this is because relationships matter so much that they make us nervous. We know that our first impression matters. Inherently, we know that our first impression matters so much that we have to get it right in order to make that connection. So the reason why we have social anxiety is because our relationships are so important and it's because we care. We also have this very delicate balance of being both confident and relatable. So if you had someone who was super confident all the time and they walked into rooms and they were like, hey, everyone, be friends with me. I'm a great person to be friends with. People actually wouldn't want to be friends with that person because they wouldn't be seen as empathetic. They wouldn't be seen as caring. They wouldn't be seen as able to compromise. And so the ideal relationship is actually one where you catch someone's confidence. And we actually have found that our confidence is contagious, but also feel belonging, trust, and acceptance from that person. That, I think, is what keeps me up at night, to be honest. That balance of how can you walk into a room and be confident and be yourself but also be caring and authentic and kind. That is what I think we all need to go for. 
Mm, and now you mentioned that it keeps you up at night and it sounds like it's a balance. So there's not like a cookie cutter recipe of like, I need 20% confidence. How do I balance this? And how do I know if I'm getting it right? And even more importantly is when I do get it right, what will happen to me? Mm. Yes. So believe me, no one loves a formula more than me. Okay. I love a good formula. I love percentages and I wish I could break this down into formula, but instead I actually want to teach you a matrix that I use. So I think the wrong way to teach social skills, and the only reason I say this is because this is how I was taught social skills and it didn't work for me. Most social skills books are written by extroverts. You have Dale Carnegie, you have lots of different folks who I won't mention their specific names, I feel like bad for calling people out, but you have a lot of extroverts who teach people skills and they teach people skills as extroverts. They say things like, be more outgoing, say yes to more things, just talk to more people and be yourself. If you're an introvert or an ambivert, I'm an ambivert, so I'm in between introvert and extrovert, or a recovering awkward person, or you have social anxiety, that advice gives you dread. When someone, you tell an introvert to be more outgoing, you're basically asking them to not be themselves. And in this way, you're setting them up for failure. If you tell an introvert, be more outgoing, they then have to be a fake version of themselves or fake it till they make it, which by the way is my least favorite phrase in the social skill literature. If someone fakes it till they make it, okay, let's say that an introvert hypes themselves up, they learn lots of great social tools, they go to a networking event and they fake being outgoing, okay? And maybe they make a couple of connections. Here's what happens. One, those connections don't feel good. They don't feel real because that person liked you for a fake version of you. So then you feel like the next time you see them, the next time you hang out, you have to perpetuate a fake version of yourself, which makes you feel inauthentic and drained and anxious. That's where anxiety comes from. You also leave that event needing three days to recover. I think there is a different way to teach social skills, which is how I teach social skills, which is that each of us have our own natural flavor of charisma. We used to believe there was one flavor of charisma. It was the bubbly, outgoing extrovert. It was the life of the party. It was the person who could walk into a room and tell a funny story, and everyone was you know, asking for their phone number and thought they were the coolest person. That is one kind of charisma. But what we have discovered is there are many different kinds of charisma. If you ask people, who is the most charismatic person you know, and you ask them to describe that person, you'll see that there are powerfully quiet introverts. There are empathetic, caring nurturers. There are funny, witty, clever, but dark, pessimistic, interesting folks. There are the presidential, booming, outgoing personality. All of those people can be seen as charismatic. The key is they have to be leveraging their natural strengths. If someone who is not naturally extroverted tries to be a quiet, powerful introvert, that's not charismatic. And so what I want to help people discover is what are your natural tendencies and how can you dial those up as opposed to fake it till you make it? I'm so happy you bash on that sentence. It's also one that I love bashing on because, yeah, it's, it's in essence, it always will catch up to you. And I wanted to dig a bit more about how we have all these different types of charisma today. And I wanted to know, is it simply because science has caught up and started identifying this? Or is it because the way technology is today and the way we interact today has modified what we expect in a social setting? What's going on here? 
I think it's maybe a little bit of both. So the science, let's talk about the science. So people have been fascinated by personality science for decades, if not centuries. We've always loved thinking about different personality buckets. You might have heard of Myers-Briggs, you might have heard of DISC, you might have heard of Enneagram. None of those actually have been based in science. They have not been able to repeat those personality studies in a reliable way. The only personality science that is actually back in science, and they can repeat it across cultures, across genders, across ages, is called the Big Five. And the nice thing about this personality science is it's very beautifully clear. And it begins to speak to these natural personality types. So the big five personality traits, and I go into them in depth in my book. If I could have written an entire book about just them, I would have. But I also had to talk about conversation, likability, and first impressions, body language, because those are my favorites too. (laughs) So I only gave this one chapter, which is known as ocean. It's an easy way to remember it. Openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. Every single person on this planet has those five traits, and you're either high, medium, or low in those traits. So I think what we're talking about is specifically one dimension. It's extroversion. In this research, they find there are certain people who are extroverts, certain people who are introverts, and certain people who are in the middle, which are called ambiverts. And they realize, huh, introverts are not sitting at home alone, unlikable, with no friends. No, there are world leaders who are introverts. There are CEOs that are introverts. And that's when the science began to show, A, it's okay to be wired differently, and B, it might not be a choice. And this is where I think the science gets really exciting. And whenever I do a workshop, I start off all my workshops by saying, our personality is not a choice. They have found that about 50 to 70% of our personality is genetic. In other words, they can look at your DNA and identify specific genes that will talk to you about your personality. I'll give you a very specific example. There is a gene called DRD4. DRD4 is the gene that dictates your dopamine. People who carry long versions, is this too sciencey by the way? Is this too boring? I'm excited. I've never heard about this before, so please continue. So I'm a little obsessed with DRD4 because I think that it's actually like our operating system, if you think about computer operating systems, I don't know why it actually hasn't been publicized more. I'm working on getting it out there in this kind of podcast, which is wonderful. So DRD4 dictates how we express dopamine. Very simplified, dopamine is a pleasure chemical. And that is very simplified. It's actually a very interesting little chemical, but it makes us feel excited. It makes us feel like we want something. It motivates us to do things. They found that people who carry the long form of DRD4 produce different types of dopamine or different amounts of dopamine to different stimulus. And they found that one in five people carry this long version. Specifically, if you are one of these five people, you are more impulsive, you are a risk taker, you are more outgoing, you seek social experiences. They can predict how many sexual partners you've had. They can predict how many tattoos you've had. They can predict your addictions. And that's because one in five people who carry this long form are literally wired to seek dopamine all the time. And so I believe that a lot of the most charismatic people that we think of traditionally are those one in five people, which means you're comparing yourself to a super outgoing, super witty, super extrovert when you might not carry the form of that gene. And so I say this because I want you to give yourself permission 
and love and self-compassion that if you don't want to go to the bar that everyone is going to, if you dread going to big birthday parties, if you don't want to go to the networking event, that's okay. It actually might be chemical. It's not necessarily a choice. Mm, I'm so happy that we went into this science field that I'd never heard before. And for everybody listening, what we really wanted to drill at the beginning here is understanding how there are important differences on how you can show up with someone that can actually have amazing social skills. And knowing that it's way beyond being that bubbly person that shows up, being you seems to be much more important. It's really what you want to focus on. And this is really where I wanted to take this, Vanessa, is like, I see the science, I understand there's different types, I feel like I need to identify a bit more about what my type is. And maybe have a bit of tools that I could start using now that I understand this. What should I work on? Is it more my self-awareness socially or are there just tips and tricks I should apply? Like what do I do in the workplace? Sure. So I am a high conscientious person. So when you think about the personality traits, one of them is conscientiousness, which is your approach to details. I'm very high conscientious. I love details. I alphabetize for fun. I love to-do lists. I put things on my to-do list for the simple pleasure of checking them off. So I'm going to give you a high conscientious approach to this. And if you're listening and you're also high conscientious, it's going to give you like the tickles. You're going to be so excited. If you're low conscientious and you're listening, I want you to just get the general idea. You don't need to follow it to the letter, right? So I honor both of our traits. So I like to do social tracking. I think the most powerful way for highly effective people to leverage their charisma is to actually truly and deeply understand their triggers. And this means taking some social tracking. This is not that hard to do, but it does take some approach to detail. So I get out a pen and a paper. And if you can, I would write down all the places that make your heart sing. These are all the places where you look forward to going to, you get excited, you can be your best self, you look forward to it all year. And this can be as small as my best friend Susie's house on Friday nights. It can be as broad as nightclubs, but only ones with rooftop bars because I run hot. So I like to spend time outside. Like I want you to like get into it, like really, really specific. So for example, in this exercise, I very quickly learned that I like venues where I can have one-on-one -on -one conversations. It actually doesn't matter where that is, as long as there's a little corner or a little table, or a little pocket where I can step aside with someone. If I'm in a loud bar where you're like, hi, I'm Vanessa. I like your shoes. I just don't do well. I just do not do well. It's not my brand of charisma and I'm anxious the entire time. So any place where I can sneak away, and by the way, I have certain friends' homes where that is the case. They have big open homes, they have big parties, and I get really overwhelmed. Where I have certain friends' homes, they have small dinner parties, we have a little cocktail hour, we have a little board game. Mm, mm, that is my night, that is my jam. So I want you to think of all the places you thrive and all the places that make you really anxious, the places where you're like, I just dread it, I dread it, I don't like it. And there's also gonna be some places in the middle, places where you're like, yeah, take it or leave it. If I have a lot of energy, I can do it. If I don't have a lot of energy, I can't do it. Make this list. Then I want you to do the same thing with people. <laughs> I want you to think of all the people who make your heart sing, the people you look forward to talking to, the people that when they, you see a text from them, you go, oh, yes. And then I want you to think of the people who you dread, the people who you're like, oh, no, not a text from that person. They just give you the cortisol, that stress feeling. And then I want you to think of all the people that are in the middle. 
I want you to look at this list and I want you to spend a couple of days adding to it until you feel like it's really, really complete. And then your goal is to open up your calendar. Now, I think you can tell everything about a person by their calendar. People give a lot of lip service to having authentic relationships or building connection. And then when you look at their calendar, it's all work. You see no time and space for social connection. Or people who talk about self-love, 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 meditation, and work-life balance. And they look at their calendar and you see no self-love time, no time for themselves. So I want you to make your calendar reflect your social goals. If your social goals are low on your list, no worries. Maybe you have one really great social thing a month. That's enough for you. If social goals or social skills or connection or belonging or reputation or networking is high on your list, you should have one thing you love every week. And I want you to say no to one thing you dread every week. And that might mean some jiggering. That might mean some offending some people. That might mean setting some boundaries. And then I also want you to begin to optimize the amazing people in your life. Text them more. Tell them you care about them. Set up dates with them. Set up rituals with them. And then I want you to begin to set up distance between the people who drain you. Text them less. Say no to them. Give them boundaries. Make it shorter. Everything you can do to distance the people who drain you and bring the people closer who give to you. That's slow, but it works. I can see how powerful that is. I mean, I feel like everybody has that one person that's in their life and they don't understand why they keep them close because they drain all of their energy. But I have to ask, a lot of people might be listening to saying, wow, this is great, but the person I dread right now is my boss. What do I do? Mm -hmm. I could write an entire workshop on minimizing your boss. So here's the good news is that's a great question because there are ways to do it. It takes finesse, but it's totally possible. So this is called managing up. And I'm all about the concept of managing up. This is the ultimate people skill, right? It's being in a relationship with someone that you have to be in a relationship with, maybe a parent, maybe a sibling, maybe a boss, maybe a colleague, maybe a roommate, like you can't change it for that period of time. But how do you manage that relationship? So there's a lot of ways to this, but I'll list the easiest one to start with, which is setting up with them the way that you like to communicate. So the biggest problem I see, and I have, we have thousands of students who go through our programs, when someone has a boss problem, it's usually they have a different way of communicating. The boss likes to pop by the office, whereas you like to email. The boss likes to brainstorm all the time or throws random tasks on you when you're not even ready for it, and you're more of a prepared person. So I would actually sit down with them and have a reset kind of conversation. Blame me if you want. Give them my book. I don't care. Say, hey, I was working on myself. Fill in the blank. I'm working on my people skills. I'm working on my communication techniques. I'm working on my productivity. I'm working on my sales techniques. Fill in the blank for whatever is going to resonate with your boss. Okay. So whatever they're going to be like, oh, you're working on that? Wonderful. So I'm working on my XYZ skill. And one of the things I want to do is I want to clarify all the communication in my relationships. My relationship with you is one of my most important relationships. This is really critical. So you're starting with something that they're going to respect, something you're improving. And the second thing is you're sitting down with them because they're important to you. doesn't mean you have to like them, but they're still important to you. They're your boss. I want to sit down with you as one of the first people I talk to because my relationship with you is incredibly important to me. I want to make sure that we are on the same page. I want to make sure that we are super clear. I want to make sure that you respect me and I respect you. And so I wanted to actually start with you. Can I ask for your help? This is the third thing. Okay. This is really, really important. 
you are not telling them what you need. You're asking them for their help. And that's critical with a difficult person. Can I ask for your help? I am really struggling with, and then you're going to vulnerability share. What are you actually struggling with for you? Not them, but for you. And then how can they help you with it? That's when you're going to go into brainstorming mode. So for example, this might be, you know, I think that sometimes I get really anxious when you come into the office and you tell me all of your great ideas because I feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not prepared to hear them. I've learned through this training that I'm taking that I am a little bit more on the low open side, which means I have to prepare for brainstorming sessions. Would it be okay with you if every Friday afternoon after our one o'clock meeting, you and I sit down and we do all the brainstorming then? I know that you tend to brainstorm all week, but I want to make sure that I'm really there for it. Would that be okay? And slowly begin to add boundaries. What you're really doing is adding boundaries. That's what you're really doing, but you're doing it in a way that's respectful, that's asking them for help, that's really authentic, and it's not assigning blame. I am almost in tears here, hearing that <laughs> system. I was just talking with Vanessa before we started recording how I'm all about sales and I'm really someone who's a passionate salesperson. I feel like when you communicate with people, being able to use a process like you just described, which is so beautiful, is actually showing love and care to the person to understand the language they need to hear so they can understand the boundaries that you need to have. I think if a lot more people can have these kinds of conversation, it would remove so much of the frustrations that we have. And you hit on it, it's speaking their language. So in chapter, I believe it's chapter eight of my book, I talk about something called a primary value, which researchers FOA and his team found that everyone has one of six primary values. And it's really important to appeal to someone's value. And so you have to actually identify what your boss's primary value is and speak to it. So that's also a deeper layer if you really want to get advanced with it is how can you also speak to their value language? And I find that once you find someone's value language, so much about them clicks into place. Vanessa, we've covered so much amazing things that are so applicable for the workplace and every situation in life. And what's funny is that I actually know you and discovered you a lot for the work that you do through body language. But here we are in an audio podcast, so nobody can actually see us. But maybe we could just end this with maybe one or two things that we should be aware of from a body language perspective, maybe on ourselves or when reading other people that can give us that little edge when it comes to working with people. Yes. So um, I love body language. I think it's Oh, the hidden tool that we're not given. I don't know why. We all have bodies. We all communicate with our bodies. Why does no one talk about it? And by the way, I've read you know thousands of leadership and communication books, literally thousands of business leadership, communication relationship books. Body language though is always like a sub of a sub chapter or like the end of a paragraph or like here's a 15 step framework on my leadership skills. Oh, by the way, body language is important. Go do it. So body language. I could talk about it for a long time, but the most important thing that you want to realize is that the more space you take up, the more contagious you are. And there is a spectrum here. You don't want to actually walk into rooms like a giant monster with your hands up, but we are very attuned to someone's spatial requirements. Specifically, not just like hands on your hip, traditional power pose. That's okay, but actually that's quite socially aggressive. Like standing with your hands on your hips and your feet very wide. It's okay to do by yourself, but in a business setting, it's a little bit odd. If you've ever tried it, it doesn't feel like it quite fits. So actually the skill that I like to teach, which is very simple, is the distance between your earlobe and your shoulder. 
bizarre distance, right? But think about it this way. So when you're really anxious, so right now, put your shoulders up as far as they'll go and squinch your head down. So almost your shoulders are touching your earlobes. This is how little kids stand when they're anxious, right? You have really little space. So I'm doing it right now and my voice kind of goes down. I lose a little bit of volume. I sound more questionable. And the moment I put my shoulders down and I lift my head up, I get space. That indicator, it indicates so much about your confidence. It affects your vocal confidence. It affects your physical confidence. It has you take up more space in a very natural way, right? As opposed to like standing in a huge power pose where everyone's like, uh, weird, superwoman, why are you standing like that? So what I would just think about is when you're on phone calls, when you're on video calls, when you're in an office, when you're sitting at a conference table, just think, are my shoulders down and back? Is my head and my ears up and away? If you can think of those two things, that's actually the most important thing you can do for signaling confidence with your voice and your body. Wow. Vanessa, you've shared us so many dimensions around people understanding them. Back with the science, we went even into the DNA technicalities of it. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. For anybody who's just gotten so engaged within this conversation, definitely go and pick up Captivate, the science of succeeding with people, and have a look at Vanessa Van Edwards' company, which is the science of people. And Vanessa, please confirm it is the scienceofpeople.com. So scienceofpeople.com. Scienceofpeople.com. And so for everybody listening, we really covered a lot of ground here. But in essence, the idea of someone being a socially successful person has gone beyond just the idea of someone who walks into a room with a lot of confidence and bravado. There's so many different types of ways that you can show up. And the best part is it's showing up as yourself. We talked about how a lot of these personality assessments might not be the most scientific thing, but the big five are an important aspect that you want to get a bit more awareness about for yourself. Because once you start understanding where you are, then you'll start understanding what are the social settings that are best for you. I love the exercise that Vanessa shared with everybody where you look at the environments that stimulate you, that excite you versus the ones that drain you. And again, doing the same with the people, especially in the workplace. There are certain meetings that you might dread. There are certain meetings you look forward to. So try to see how you can minimize yourself in the ones that dread you and understand maybe why. Is it the people? Is it the room? But the more you gain that awareness, Awareness, the more you can start crafting your calendar and scheduling in the social activities that really are one of the key things that will help you grow within the workplace. And even if you have maybe a colleague that you have to work with on a project or a boss that you have to report to that seems to not respect your boundaries and your needs when it comes to the way that you prefer to communicate to be the most effective possible, managing up is a powerful tool. And I'm so glad Vanessa spoke about boundaries because this is something that really removes the Tensions, something that you need to declare for yourself. And again, beyond the workplace can be applied to the family members that actually you might have struggles with or any other part of your life, maybe in relationships where, again, this idea of understanding ourselves and standing people is so critical to making us be amazing at walking this earth where we're all trying to figure things out and all of it is just a beautiful thing. I also love this final tip that is so practical. So if you're listening to this and you're on a way to work, I mean, I lit up myself right when I started bringing my shoulders down and my ears up, my voice got even more expansive. I'm getting more energized and I'm doing this at 4.30 in the morning. And so the moment I started applying this, I felt a new wave of energy. Try this today. Show up in the office with maybe a little reminder every five minutes. You could even set a timer where you get a little buzz saying, hey, 
where am I on my shoulders and the earlobes distance? I had never thought of this before. And these are just some powerful things you can apply right away. And again, if you wanna go dig deeper, do check out Vanessa Van Edwards. Find her on YouTube, find her on our website, go buy her book. She's an amazing woman that's really bringing the science forward, which I know is going to help so many people succeed and thrive in the workplace and every area of their lives moving forward. Vanessa, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this amazing knowledge. And everybody listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks so much. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.